Welcome to the LifePoint Palm Bay Sermon Podcast. We encourage you to make copies of this message, but please don't charge for those copies. If you'd like to know more about LifePoint Palm Bay, please visit lifepointpb.com. All right, and if you need a Bible this morning, just wave at one of our ushers, and they'd be happy to pass Bible to you. And you can turn over to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6. And I'm looking at that clock, and I guess it's right. All right? It's always fun when you're sitting here thinking, how are we going to do this? Um, you know, it's interesting. Last week, I told you there was a message. The message I preached last week was one that was very specifically the Lord had, had redirected. It wasn't where I was planning on going. And so I was asking, Lord, what do you want to do this week? I mean, is it time to, to take a step forward or... And there was something God began to stir in my heart, just based in conversation as I was as, that I was having. And then there was a um, there was another conversation during the course of the week where God again confirmed to me, um, "This is where I want you to go." I listened to a message this week by Tony Evans, and he told a story, and I'm going to give you a brief little synopsis of it because I think it helps us understand why today is so important. And the story was years ago when someone was in an institution because they were had mentally unstable, had been deemed mentally unstable, um, they would work with them. And if they got to a point where they felt like this patient was ready to be released, that one of the last tests that they would do um, after all the other things that they had done is they would take this individual into a janitor's closet and they would put the stopper in the sink, turn the water on and let it begin to fill up and then overflow. And then they would send this person into the closet with a mop and say, I want you to clean up the water in the closet. And they would give them a minute or two. And if they walked in and they were mopping the floor, but there was still the stopper in the sink and the water still running, they knew they weren't ready to be released. And I heard that and immediately the Holy Spirit just began to speak and say, Troy, you do that sometimes. You have... You may have the right answer, but you haven't gotten to the heart of the problem, the heart of the issue. You can mop all day long, but if you don't turn the water off and take that stopper out, it won't do any good. You're you're fighting a losing battle. This morning, I want to get to an issue, and I've talked about it in different ways, different times, but to me, I think this is, if I were ranking, and I don't want to do this, but if I were ranking truths that I think are in the top five that God has to take and make real in our life and take deeper than we ever imagined, this would be one of those five. And some of what I shared this morning, you may have heard before, if you've been here a while, you may have heard it, but again, I just want to look at it biblically and, and, and walk you through some stuff, because again, I have conversations with people on a regular basis, and they go something like this, you know, I know God's forgiven me, but I have a real hard time, I struggle sometimes with things that I've done in the past, and I struggle sometimes with things that I've said, things that have, that have happened. I mean, just, I know, I know God's forgiven me, and as soon as it but, they'll say, I know God's forgiven me, but, all right, my desire for you is that in your Christian life, you would never again say, I know God's forgiven me, and then put a but after it. You would never again do that. That's my desire for you as your pastor. Now, that was not always true for me. I can tell you today, 
That is true for me. I can say with, with all of my heart, I know God's forgiven me, and there's no but after it. No but. Just plain and simple, I am forgiven. This truth is so critical to everything else in your life, your spiritual life, your relationship with the Lord, and every other relationship that you have. Because what I've discovered the more I walk this is that you cannot give to others what you do not receive for yourself. If you cannot believe that you really, truly have been completely forgiven, no matter what you've done or said, no matter what you will do or say or don't do, you have been completely forgiven if you are in Christ. If, you can, if that revelation has not taken hold of you, you're going to find it very difficult to give forgiveness to someone else. Because you feel like you're always having to earn God's, so it stands to reason they should have to earn yours. This was the story of my life for so long. Matthew chapter 6, verse 12. Jesus says, when he's talking about prayer, he says, forgive us. When we're praying, we should say, Lord, forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Or forgive us our sins or forgive us our trespasses as we have forgiven our debtors. Okay? Then later on in the same passage, just a few verses later, down in verse 14, Look what he says. Jesus skips down verse 14. He says, For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. You think, okay, that's nice. But we forgive, he forgives us. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. All right, now I don't know about you, but I read that and I get this image of God kind of sitting there with his arms crossed. Say, it's up to you, bud. It's up to you. You forgive, I'll forgive you. You don't forgive, I'm coming after you. Is that the image you get? That was, that was my image for a long time when I would read this passage. There were things I did not understand. And there's also some problem because I'd read this and then I'd read other passages in the New Testament and they don't seem to quite line up. And it was an issue for me. Let me show you some of those other passages. Look over, just a couple of books over, a few books over from Matthew, in Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians 4.32 Apostle Paul writing here under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, and he says, be kind to one another. That is the favorite verse of parents, all right, with their children. Be kind to one another. Tenderhearted, tender, soft heart. Have a soft heart. Forgiving one another. Somebody tell me, some of you grammarians, some of you English scholars, forgiving is in what tense? Grammatically, what tense is that? Forgiving. It's, pre it's ongoing, isn't it? Forgiving one another. Present and, and also future. It, it's ongoing. Forgiving one another. Continually forgiving one another. Not just, I forgave you. See, sometimes it's like, well, I forgave you, but now it's up. You know, I'm done with that. No, forgiving one another, which means you're going to have to keep on doing it. You realize that? You're going to have to keep on forgiving, folks. If you're going to be around them, you're going to have to keep on forgiving. Forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Now he's saying here, this is interesting because he's saying, I want you to, there's no, there's no mention here of if you don't forgive them, well, God's not going to forgive you. He's saying, no, I want you to forgive the same way you've been forgiven. As a matter of fact, again, you grammarians, as, Christ, as God in Christ forgave, what tense is that? Past. Well, but it seems like when I read Matthew that it's kind of, it should be forgive one another as God is forgiving you when you forgive. 
But that's not what he says. He says, no, forgive as you have been forgiven. As God already forgave you. He's already done it. Look at the next verse with me over in Colossians. Colossians, I believe it's chapter 2, verse 13. And you, 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 who were dead, you weren't just sort of bad, you were dead in your trespasses, in the uncircumcision of your flesh. You were dead in sin, he says in another place in Ephesians. God made alive together with him. Oh, I love that. He didn't just make you alive. He made you alive together with him. He didn't just give you life. He gave you his life. Supernatural, abundant life. Something more, something supernatural. And look at this. Having forgiven. Again, what's our tense? You didn't know you were coming to English class today, did you? Having forgiven us all our trespasses. What does all mean? How much does all include? All. Is anything not included in all? What about the stuff you're going to do tomorrow? Was it included? Okay. What about the stuff that you did that was really bad? I mean, I know the little stuff, but how about the really bad stuff that nobody knows about? Is that all? Is that part of all too? All. It's all. Forgiven. What if what you did desperately, awfully hurt someone else? Is it still covered under all? What if what someone did to you desperately hurt you? Is it still covered under all? See, Scripture is really simple. It's scripture's, in my opinion, Scripture is not hard. It's hard sometimes to believe. It's not hard to see it, to understand it. He says, you have been made alive with Him because He forgave, He has forgiven all your trespasses, all your sins. And I love the term here, trespass. There are different terms used for sin in the scriptures, some of them, some of the words for sin mean to miss the mark. The word trespass here literally means you violated, you you purposely went in someplace you didn't, you weren't supposed to go. You trespassed. But he forgave all of that. Look at the next verse with me. It's over in 1 John 2, verse 12. I'm writing to you, little children, I'm writing to you believers, because your sins plural, your sins are forgiven for His name's sake. That's really important that you understand why your sins are forgiven. Does it say there that your sins are forgiven because you shaped up and did did the right thing? Mm -mm. Your sins are forgiven now because you really try very hard and you do the best you can. So your sins are forgiven. Your sins are forgiven because, well, yeah, I still mess up, but I'm, I'm not as bad as Mike, all right? So, pick on Mike here. No, he doesn't say that, does he? He says, your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. Forgiven. Done. You say, Troy, get to the point. I know this. I know. Do you really know? Has the revelation of this really sunk in that you have been forgiven once for all time? I love it in Hebrews. It says it three times in the book of Hebrews. He remembers your sins no more. Your sins and your lawless deeds, he remembers no more. No more. No more. 
They are not remembered. Not because God's getting old and forgetful. All right? That's my problem. That's not his problem. He chooses not to remember them because they have been paid for. They have been done away with. Now, I know what some of you, because you, you guys are sharp, so some of you are sitting there, yeah, I get that, Troy, but I still commit sin, and then when I do that, I'm, I'm in a mess with God, and I've got to make sure I get right with God. I hate that term in the Christian church, get right with God. I really do. Because what it, what it means, what it indicates, is an, an incomplete understanding of the awesome truth of what God's Word says. Because it says that I have done something I shouldn't. By the way, does anybody in here besides me sin? Is there anybody in here besides me? Okay, all right. And you all claim to know Jesus just like I do, but we still sin, right? So nobody in here is claiming perfection from sin that we don't sin. We're just simply saying we're forgiven. And you're saying, yeah, I get that of the past stuff because... We, you know, we prayed, we received Jesus Christ, we confessed that we were sinners, and he did all that. I, I get that. But what about the future stuff? I mean, that's bad, and that upsets God, and, and, and then I get a timeout, and God puts me in timeout, and then I feel sorry, and I come back, and I say, I'm so sorry, you know, and, you know, and, and you know, maybe I shed a few tears, and, and whatever, and then God says, okay, you've learned your lesson, and, and we're all good. And somehow or another, that was my picture. And I've talked to enough of you, that was some, for many of you, that was your picture too. Maybe some of you, it still is your picture of who God is and how you relate to Him. Now, I want to take just a couple minutes and talk about something I've talked about before. I'm not going to go into it in detail because I have done that in other messages. I'm just going to kind of hit the highlights of it. But this is very important to me. And the reason I believe it's important to me is because I believe it's important to God. And if you don't understand this, it doesn't mean that you're not saved. But what it does mean, in my opinion and in my experience, it means that you're going to be hindered in your spiritual growth if you don't understand what I'm about to share with you. All right? Here in 1 John 2, it says, I'm writing to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. If you back up to 1 John chapter 1, you have the verse that is the verse that was drilled into me as a child and young adult growing up. Because I know I sin, and you know you sin. And so the verse in 1 John, 1 John 1, 9, was drilled into me. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now, that was drilled into me. I memorized it. I knew it. And it was explained to me that the way that you apply that verse in your life is that, that when you sin, you go to God and you ask His forgiveness and you tell Him you're really sorry and you, 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 know, you try to you have contrition and you, know, you recognize that you've done the wrong thing and you beg for His forgiveness. And then after you do that, then he, he's, he's righteous and just and He'll forgive you and then you can be restored into relationship with Him. And we called it confession, our confession of sin. And so I did that. I did that my whole life, my whole Christian life, from a little bitty kid. Oh, I did that. In my teenage years, I did it a lot, all right? And I would go through 
You know, the problem that I had is even after I would go through the ritual, I didn't feel very forgiven. Anybody else ever have that experience? I still didn't feel very forgiven. You know, I thought, okay, well, God said he forgave me, but I don't feel very forgiven. And then you get to a point where it can consume you, where this is just a constant, almost ritual for you all the time, or you get to the point where you're really tired of it and you just think, ah, what's the use? And I've experienced both of those, where it was a ritual doing it all the time and where I get to the point where I was tired, what's the use? I'm just going to sin again and have to go through this whole rigmarole all over again. It was because I was not understanding the truth. I was mopping the water, but I hadn't taken the stopper out or turned the, turned the faucet off. I was just mopping away. You'll never get ahead, just mopping away. The way that I was taught, and many of you were taught, in this confession of sin, our picture of it is mopping the water without turning off the faucet. It's not evil or wicked, so if you do that, and if you go out of here and do it today, that's fine. I mean, it's not evil or wicked or sinful. But I do think it's incomplete. I know it's incomplete. And it will cause you to be stunted in your relationship with the Lord. I have no doubt in my mind of that. It, will, it, will, it can create in you a barrier to your relationship with Him. And the very thing we're trying to do is remove barriers in our relationship with Him. Now, sometimes when I preach this or I talk about it, people say, are you saying that we're just sin's no big deal? And we shouldn't be humble about sin and, or that confession is not important. No, the Bible talks about confession. It doesn't talk about it the way we think, but it talks about confession. It talks about repentance, which is often a word we don't use nearly as much. We use confession when the Bible tends to use repentance more. But no, I'm not saying that. As a matter of fact, being humbled over sin, acknowledging, I did this week. There were a number of times this week where I came to the Lord and said, Lord, you and I both know that's sin. That's wrong. That's evil and wicked. That's of the devil. I know it and you know it. So that's not a problem. I mean, being a humility with the Lord over our sin is a good thing, not a bad thing. But what I believed for so long is that that then meant I had to go the next step, which is, Lord, please forgive me for my sin. And take it away. And take away all the guilt and the shame of it and just do what you got to do. I don't understand all, but do what you got to do, Lord, to get me so I'm right with you again, so that we can be in fellowship with one another. Nothing of what I just said is biblical. Nothing. But I did that for years. Some of you do that today. You've been taught that, or you somehow believe that that's what you need to do to be growing spiritually. Nowhere in the New Testament does it talk about a believer coming and saying, confess your sin and ask forgiveness for God. It doesn't say that for believers. If you are not a believer, if you are not in Christ today, you must confess your sin and ask for his forgiveness. It is the only way that you can be part of the body, part of the family of God. You must. As a matter of fact, 1 John 1.9 was written to just those individuals. You say, Troy, how do you know that? He's, first John, he's writing to Christians. Not in chapter 1, he's not. 
In chapter 1, if you read the context, go back and read the verses before it. He's talking about those who say they have no sin. He's writing to those, that, big term, antinomian. Those who, who had this belief that there was no law because there was no sin. They hadn't really done anything wrong. So if there's no sin, you don't need law. You don't really need God. All right, Because they haven't done anything to need a Savior. And so John is writing to them because he, this is near the end of the first century and this antinomianism is, is kind of pervading the early church. This teaching, this false teaching is coming in there. And he's saying, if you say you have no sin, you lie. You lie and the truth's not in you. We would all agree. A believer never goes around saying, I don't have any sin. Not a true believer. We know we do. So this isn't talking about you and me. Who's he talking to? He's talking about those who have never accepted Jesus Christ. If you will confess your sin, how did you get saved? You confessed your sin. You said, I'm a sinner. Jesus, I need you. I'm asking you to forgive me. Come in and live in me. Take control of me. Change me. I'm yours. I'm giving myself to you. If you confess your sin, he is faithful and just to forgive you of your sin and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. When did that happen? When did he cleanse you from all unrighteousness? The day you got saved, he cleansed you from all unrighteousness. You say, well, if that's not written to Christians, what is? 1 John 2, verse 1. Two verses later. Little children, I don't want you to sin, but if you do, I want you to know that you have an advocate with the Father, even the Son, Christ Jesus. That's the verse for believers. I don't want you to sin. So this teaching isn't designed so we just go sin all over town. You're like, woohoo, I'm going to go sin today. All right? No. No. That's not the teaching. The teaching is you have already been forgiven once for all. Already. Done. It's forgiven. Big, little, Bad, not so bad, that's our terms. God doesn't see it that way, but we see it that way. We, we qualify it and categorize it. Forgiven, already done. This revelation changed my life. Changed my life. Because I'll tell you, it is very difficult to go and, and we talk about spending time with God, hearing God, walking and, and being in the presence of God. If you feel like that God is this ogre who wants to let you have it every time you talk to him and tell you what you did wrong so you can confess it and, and ask forgiveness for it and get right with him again, do your penance. You don't want to spend time with him. Let me ask you, do you like being around human beings who are always correcting you and telling you where you're wrong? Do you? I mean, how many of you have a best friend who's always correcting you and telling you, every time you talk to them, like, all right, don't put your hand up, all right? But, but we have that, but we don't like that, do we? I don't want to spend time with people who are constantly correcting me, telling me what I'm doing wrong. Parents, this is a real warning for you and me because it's hard with our kids sometimes. We're always in corrective mode. But none of us really enjoy being with someone when they're always correcting. Now, we can go the other, too far the other way and never correct. But this is a challenge. And if we see God this way, I don't want to spend time with him. I didn't. Me personally, I didn't want to. I felt like I'm going to go before the Lord and he's just going to show me something else I did wrong. I want to confess and repent and, 
ask forgiveness and try to go through the motions of doing all this. And, and then how do I know I was sorry enough? Did I, do I need to shed tears? Did I say the right words? I mean, what's the formula here to get this done? Quite a few of you grew up Catholic, have a Catholic background. How many of you have a Catholic background? Quite a few of you, all right? I grew up in a household. I grew up in an evangelical household, all right? And my dad did not like Catholics, which was a real Christian thing of him. Um, <laughs> so much so that in our house, we, we rooted for Ole Miss, the New Orleans Saints, and anybody playing against Notre Dame, Okay. <laughs> That's, that's, that was how that worked, okay? And I asked him one time, Dad, why, why don't we like Notre Dame? All right? Well, they're Catholic. Well, what's wrong with Catholics? I thought they're like us. And he goes, no, 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 they're not like us. I mean, they, they, have different, they believe different things. And, and his big issue was they have this priest that you have to go to, and you go in the little confessional thing, and you tell them, please forgive me, Father, forgive me, I have sinned. And I don't know exactly how it works because I've never done it, but I've just been told by other people. And, and you tell them whatever your sin is or whatever it is you've done, and then there's certain penance that you do. You know, you're, you're forgiven or whatever, but you need to go do this. And he said, that's all wrong. You know, Jesus is our high priest and he, you know, and he's forgiven us. But by the same token, in the evangelical circles I grew up in, I was taught the very thing I just spent the last 15 minutes telling you about. In a real sense, Catholics were way more honest than we were. Way more. Because they just put it right out there. Here's how you do it. Go through these motions and do this. No, I don't believe Catholics are right in doing it that way. No offense. But I don't think evangelicals are right either. When we come, even if we do it without the confessional booth and without the human priest in there, if I constantly am coming saying, I have to have forgiveness, I have to ask forgiveness for this, I've got to do my penance, whatever my penance is, I've got to do my penance, and then I can be okay with God again. Jesus did the penance for me. He already paid for it and did it all. I am in him and I am forgiven for his name's sake. Once for all. Done. Done. That's why it's good news. People used to talk about good news and I'm thinking, I grew up in church and I thought, when do we get to hear this good news? All right? Because all I've ever heard is bad news. This, because I didn't know that. This is good news. Now, there's still some things in there that can confuse us a little bit. Here's one of them. Look at Matthew 18, and then I'm, I'm going to have to wrap this up. Matter of fact, Lori, why don't you come play? And I'll, I'll try to wrap this up. Either that or she'll get tired of playing and stop. <laughs> All right? Matthew 18. We have s several stories in here, parables. But we get to, down to the end, and Jesus says, I want to tell you about this this master and his servant, and the servant owed the master. I'm going to put it in our, our money today. It'll be easier to understand. But, and this is near the end of the chapter. I don't know where it starts down there, verse 20 something, I think. But there is, there's this servant who owes his master $10 million, and he makes a dollar a day. That's his wage. It's a dollar a day. And he owes $10 million. So if he doesn't eat or, or do any, I mean, if he doesn't spend anything, 
at a dollar a day, how long does it take him to pay back $10 million? 10 million days, right? If he lives to be 100, okay, let's say he lives to be 100, that's only, what, 36,000 plus days, right? There's a problem. 36,000 something is way short of 10 million. So what's he going to do? It's hopeless. There is no possible way he can pay back $10 million. No way. Not making a dollar a day. There's no way. So he goes to his, his master calls in and said, hey, I'm settling up my accounts and you owe me $10 million, so pay up. Now let's forget that in this story, it makes no sense to me that the master would ever give him $10 million to start with. All right, that, that's beside the point. But he did. He says, now I want you to pay. And he says, if you'll just, notice what he says. He didn't say, there's no way I can pay. I don't know what to do, but there's no way I can pay it. What he said is, give me more time. Because that's the heart of a human being. Yeah, I'm faced with the impossible, but just give me some more time and I'll, I'll figure something out on my own. I'll make this work somehow. Give me more time. It doesn't say that the master gave him more time. It says he forgave him the whole debt. Because he knew it didn't matter how much time he gave him, there wasn't going to be enough. So he forgave him the whole debt. So this servant who'd been forgiven, me, I'm going to use Mike again. I go out and find my buddy Mike who owes me $100. And he makes a dollar a day too, just like I do. Okay? And I say, Mike, you owe me 100 bucks Because I'm thinking, i got to find some creative ways to get $10 million here so I can pay off this loan. So give me your 100 bucks. Give me, that, give me what you owe. And Mike says, Troy, I can't. I don't have it right now. But if you give me a little time, I'll get to you. Now, could Mike, is it possible that Mike could come up with $100 making a dollar a day? Sure. With enough time, he could do that. But I tell him, nope, you pay me now or into jail you go because that's my right because you owe me and you're not paying. So I throw him into jail. And the master hears about it and calls me back in. And he says, I hear that somebody owed you $100 and they couldn't pay. They asked you for more time just like you asked me, but you threw them in jail. I go, yeah. And it says there that the master's upset with him. And I used to think, yeah, he's angry with him because he did the wrong thing. He did, the, he did a bad thing. Can I explain something to you? God is never surprised when you and I do the wrong thing. It does not, the only person that surprises is us. We're surprised when we do the wrong thing. He's never surprised that you do the wrong thing. He knows you. The master wasn't angry. Because I did the wrong thing. The master was angry because I didn't realize what he had given to me. What I had been given. What I had received. So he says, you know what? I'm going to put the debt back on you. And I'm going to put you in prison. And I'm going to turn you over to, the scripture says, matter of fact, this is the verse. I'm going to deliver you over to the jailers. But other translations say the tormentors, the torturers. Until you should pay all the debt. Let me ask you, could he pay all the debt before he went to jail? No. How's he going to pay all the debt if he goes to jail? He can't. The master's goal here is not to get his money. That's not his goal. His goal is to get his servant's heart. That's his goal. For his servant to understand what he's been given. 
for there to be a humility that says, you know what? I can't do this. My only hope is your mercy. And the master says, and I have it. As a matter of fact, earlier in this passage, it says, there's a phrase that's used, it's used a few times. It's used mostly of Jesus in the New Testament. It says he had pity or he had compassion. It was moved with compassion. It was moved with compassion. You know another place where you'll see that phrase used? It's in Luke chapter 15, which is my favorite parable, bar none, which is the story of the prodigal son. And there it also says that the father saw the son coming back. He saw him a long way off because he was looking for him. And he was moved with compassion and he ran. And he grabbed him. And the son tried to do what you and I do. Father, I have sinned and, and I've messed up and I'm not worthy to be called your son. And please forgive me and just make me a servant. You know, I'm not even, don't even make me a son anymore. Just make me, a, you know, I'm going to pay my penance. I'm going to do my part and try to get back in good standing. And what does the father say? He doesn't even acknowledge all that foolishness. What does he say? He says, I want you to go get a robe, put it on my son. Get the ring, put it on my son. Go kill the fatty calf. Let's have a party. My son who who was out there lost in bad theology. He's home. He's been found. He's been found. Do you know why it's so hard for us to forgive one another? We have yet to comprehend how much we have been forgiven. We don't know. We don't see what the Father has done for us. We tend to be the older brother. I mean, I identify with the older brother in that story. The older brother is that, is the, he's the legalist. He's the religious legalist. He's like, what are you doing for him? I stayed. He ran off. Don't you know what he did? He took your money and he wasted it on prostitutes. That's what he did. And partying and doing all kinds of stuff that you and I both know are wrong and bad. How could you do this? And then he goes a step further to his father. He accuses his father and says, you didn't even give me a little old goat to have a party with my friends. And you kill the fatted calf for this, what he, what he wants to say, this reprobate. This, he says, this son of yours. He's not my brother. He's your son. the older brother didn't know what he'd been given. He didn't know. He didn't see it. Often we don't see it. When Jesus says, Lord, forgive us our debts as we forgive those, as we have forgiven those who sinned against us. This is pre-new covenant because Jesus hasn't died yet. He's introducing the new covenant, but it hasn't happened yet. Even there in Matthew but he's beginning to let them have a glimpse. This is the way the old covenant worked. Tit for tat. You do your part, I do my part. This was the old covenant. And we couldn't measure up. So Jesus died and became the guarantee of a new covenant. As a matter of fact, he did something even better. He said, not only am I paying the price for this new covenant, but I'm going to take and put my Holy Spirit inside you. He's the guarantee that everything I've promised you is true. Everything I've promised you is true. 
you have been forgiven. You say, Troy, what do I do with my sin then? What are you telling me to do? Here's what I do. You ask the Holy Spirit, but here's what I do. Because I sin. And I go to him and I say, Jesus, that's a doozy. That's, that's, that's messed up. And we talk like that together, all right? Because he doesn't speak in King James English. I'm just telling you. He doesn't. <laughs> Lord, I messed up. You and I both know that's sin. And I am overwhelmed right now with the thought that you already paid for it. You already forgave me for it. You already knew I was going to do it. Can I ask you a question? Because it's easy for us somehow to believe he forgave sins in the past. It's hard to deal with the present or the future. When Jesus died 2,000 years ago, were your sins in the present, in the past, or in the future? They were in the future. Every one of them. You hadn't committed them yet. He'd already died for them. He already paid for them. And every one of them was future. Why is it so hard for us to believe he's already died for the sins I haven't even committed yet? They're already forgiven. They're already paid for. Every one of them that I've ever committed, even if it was 40 years ago, it was in the future when he died. It's already paid for. That doesn't make it insignificant. As a matter of fact, I am humbled. I am more humbled and more grateful. And I praise him more because I understand what he has given. It doesn't make me want to go out and sin all over town. It doesn't want me to see what I can get away with. It caused me to say, oh God, I don't want to live this way. I don't want to live this way. So that's what I tell him. God, thank you for what you've done. And I don't want to live this way. I don't have to live this way. I'm a new creation. And you, you are in me. I don't have to live this way. But I don't know how to live any other way. Oh, Jesus, help me. Change me, transform me, reveal yourself. Show me what I need to see. What am I not believing? What am I, what am I believing that I shouldn't be believing? But show me. And you know what he does? He does show me. The reason this is so transformational is I used to try to hide from God. I was like Adam and Eve after my sin. I try to hide a little bit from God. I got to go through my ritual I got to pray the right prayers and say the right stuff and shed a few tears and, you know, spend a little time in time out. And then I've paid my dues and now I can come back and God will be okay. That's a lie. Oh, it's a lie. Because the very thing that I need to walk in freedom from sin is the power of God himself. And if I'm trying to hide from him and run away from him and not talk to him until I get it all, till I have somehow the, the power and the ability to get it all right, I never will get it all right. So I'll never be able to, to talk to him. I'll never feel comfortable in his presence. I shared this one time. I think, I think it was with Ashley, I think. It was years ago when I was just beginning to learn this. And we were having a conversation afterward. And, and she was struggling with this concept, and I was struggling with the concept. I was still walking through it. But the Lord gave me a picture and an insight that day that I've never forgotten. If you have to confess your sin to be right with God, what happens if you commit a sin this afternoon, but you don't get it confessed, and then you die before you get it confessed? What happens to you then? 
See, again, this is why I think Catholics were more honest than evangelicals, because they created purgatory for that very scenario, so that those who are still here could help you move on through that and get it right. Again, I'm not agreeing with that. I'm not saying that's right theology. I'm just saying they're more honest. But what do you do? If you have to go through this little religious ritual in order to be right, and you die without being right, do you understand if you die without being right, you're wrong? And if you're the least bit wrong, you're lost. You're done. There's no hope for you. It's over. That's a problem. If any sin is attached to you and me, we're not in his presence. If it hasn't been paid for and dealt with, we don't take it with us. Are you following me? Are you tracking with me? And that day, it became more clear to me than it ever had been. This ritual that I go through, it's not something God wants for me. Do I confess sin? All the time. God, I acknowledge that to be sin. Do I ask his forgiveness? Not since that day. I thank him for what he's already given me. I do not ask for something that is already mine. I thank him for what he's already given. And then I ask him to transform, do a work in this mess, Lord. Do what you said you would do. You know what I've also discovered along the way? It's easier for me to give that grace to other people because I understand more of what he's given to me. Would you bow your heads with me? It's late, and I know it's late, but I don't want to rush right here. I want to do something, though. I'm going to ask my prayer partners, a couple, a few of you, just if you come move on down here to the front right now. And then this would be another one of those days too where maybe you don't maybe you don't feel like you can come down and talk to one of these individuals but you might just stay seated in your seat when we dismiss. And some of them will see you and maybe come by and say, "Hey, can I pray with you about anything?" And if you're just sitting in your seat cuz you want to sit there, that's fine. But maybe you want someone to pray with you. You can do that too. We, there are multiple ways to do this. Oh, my heart for you today is to know that you have been forgiven. You have been forgiven. If you are in Christ. Now, if you're not in Christ, why don't you tell that to one of these prayer partners too? You say, you know what? I'm not sure I'm in Christ. I'm not sure I have this forgiveness that pastor's talking about. They'll walk you through that too. They'll talk to you and pray with you. Because you can today. You can know that you are in Christ. There are only two kinds of people in the whole world. And they're not Democrat and Republicans. Okay? All right? They're not liberals and conservatives. They're not Americans and everybody else. There's only two kinds of people, those who are in Christ and those who are not. The only two kinds of people in the whole world, those in Christ and those who are not. Lord Jesus, today, would you do a work in us? I'm praying for revelation. For my brothers and sisters, if they haven't seen it yet or haven't seen it as fully as you want to show it to them, Lord, if I haven't seen it as fully as you want to show it to me, I want to see more. 
I want to understand this, but God, make this real to us. Cause us to believe today that we have been forgiven. And that you're not petty. You're not sitting there saying, if you don't forgive, I won't forgive you. No, there's a new covenant. And you're saying, if we won't forgive, we're not experiencing the power of what you have already done for us. It's ours, but we're not experiencing it. So God, do a work in our hearts today. And Lord, if we're here today, any of us, and we're having a hard time forgiving a human being, cause us today, speak to us, Lord, and see if there's a connection between that and the fact that we really don't see how much you have forgiven us. Lord, cause us to ask the question to see, is there a connection? Is my struggle with forgiving someone else connected to the fact that I'm having a hard time believing you've forgiven me? Set people free today, Lord. Set us free today. Do your work, Holy Spirit, that only you can do. We cry out for revelation of this. And we praise you. We praise you for what you've done. And we pray this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen, amen.